0: All right, so here we go. Uh, today we're continuing our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series, and we are reviewing element six today. So kind of where we're at, just to catch us up, is um, after we did the first six elements, we were at about 70 lessons, and so I decided, uh, since obviously we've had some new people in the church um, Since then, and then, and a lot of people aren't accustomed to thinking in terms of laying out an argument over a year and a half period. Which uh, people who play chess by mail, or uh, some some people debate by mail, old snail mail, and so forth. Some people are probably used to that, but that's probably not a common thing. So I decided we would review this, and then also, my intent in doing it is to try in less than ten lessons to do a mini or condensed readers, I just condensed version of the whole series, so that people can use that when you're leading your neighbors to Christ and so forth, to uh, give them uh, something that's more manageable. You know what what's happened since the uh, Civil War in in the United States of America is gospel presentations have become reduced, reduced, and reduced. Unfortunately, a lot of that's in content and the experience that people are expected to have out of it. But a lot of the spirit behind it has actually been to try to just make it quicker and simpler. So you have the four spiritual laws or the five points of this and, you know, the seven steps on the road through Romans or something. Uh, People are trying to come up with very uh, abbreviated, condensed versions uh, but that has also accompanied sort of the movement in fundamentalist Christianity where we've uh, become neo-gnostic and we've reduced the gospel in, in a number of ways. So what we're trying to do here in this longer series is is restore missing elements that, that you really need in your Christian life. Um, but I do want us to have a shorter version and... I'm thinking it's going to come out to either 9 or 10 messages. I'm open to even getting up to 12 if it takes that much. But a shorter version that we can post separate on the website that's just called uh, the Essential Elements of the Gospel um, Condensed Version or something. So anyway, that so we're kind of killing two birds with one stone here. So we started that. This will be the seventh week we've been doing that. If you look on the small print under the title... Element six, reviewed, receiving or responding to Jesus Christ, components of soteriology, or the soteriology, of course, means the doctrines of salvation. And uh, this is the 79th lesson in the overall series, but the seventh lesson in the review of it. Hopefully everyone's tracking with that. I haven't confused everyone. So under Roman numeral one, which would actually be punched out by your paper punch out probably, uh the the, that is the one um it says eight essential elements outline and overview those are kind of the eight essential elements that we're trying to discuss you um six message ago we did element zero the intro and we especially hit on um the concepts of pre-evangelism versus non-pre-evangelized you really need to discern that when you're talking to people do they have a Western idea of God? What is their conception of sin? Uh, we're, you know, most Christians today uh, are more pre-evangelized than actually fully converted. And if you can befriend them enough and draw them out and ask them enough questions, and if you know enough about what you're thinking about and doing, you can actually correctly diagnose where they're really at with God, which is not usually where they think they're at with God. And that's the hardest part in our day and age, is being able. Uh, we've we've developed a culture that we think love is non-confrontational and it's non-challenging, and that love is the uh, always approving or approbation, always encouraging, always uh, giving affirmation and never rebuke, instruction, correction, admonition, or so forth. And if you look at just take Paul's epistles for example you'll see that uh he's about 50 50 he's often and jesus starts in revelation the seven churches jesus commends every one of the churches for something and then he confronts every one of the churches for something and part of love is always to call each other higher and that's become a missing component of love in our culture uh, this you know goes back to C.S. Lewis actually addressed that issue in his book the problem of pains pain Which was written in the late 1950s most of you weren't even born then uh, although I was so um, Pre-evangelized evangelize. very important concept to understand Make sure you understand that concept and that you're using that as a tool to help you help other people come to Christ Five messages ago, we talked about how everyone has a worldview and what the three components of a worldview are. Make sure you have that memorized. Well, I was uh, taught that concept by Dr. Larry Daly, a history professor at Bowling Green State University, in 1975, and it became the most radically changing concept I've ever ex- experienced. Um, I'd, of course, been a Christian at that time for about nine months. And when I began to realize that every thought system, every statement, every statement of morality, every political opinion, every uh, thing that people say, say has a worldview behind it, which is clearly discernible, then what happens is your, your ability to study and understand, ten concept goes, understand difficult concepts goes up tenfold. So It's not just about how much you read, because there's always going to be people who read more and so forth, and you can't keep up with all the reading, but it's how much you can discern and remember and retain out of what you read, and how much you can use various things out of what you read in some overall systematic, comprehensive way of thinking. And if you really start thinking in terms of worldviews and paradigms and presuppositions and so forth, uh, it will revolutionize your life in terms of understanding the Bible, God, and everything in life. And it will make your, any time you spend studying, ten times more useful. It's the most powerful concept that I know of. So, number... uh, Five messages ago, we talked about that with worldview. Then we also reviewed element one, which is the essential attributes of God or what is God like. Um, One of the things you need to just keep in mind there is almost all people, because of our fallen nature and because of our current contemporary culture, all people have a reduced view of God in their heart and mind. Even uh, we as Christians we are always having to op- have God open the eyes of our heart. Uh, he, we're having to have him magnify the Lord. Magnification doesn't change the actual size of something. It changes our ability to see what it really is. And we all are blind. That's how, and When we come to Christ, we're on a journey out of darkness to light, out of unreality into reality. Every Christian is on that journey. And so um, the, one of the aspects of that journey is all of us have a picture and a, and a thought of God in our life that is less than who God really is. So one of the most helpful things you can do in your Christian life is to read a good book on the attributes of God. And as you worship, think, you know, try to begin to ask God to help you magnify the Lord, to open your eyes to understand who he is. But when you're trying to help people grow, one of the most important ways you can help them is they have less than, than a big enough view of God in their mind and heart, even Christians. Sometimes, for instance, Christians might see their trials as bigger than God. Or they might see their like, oh, I'm going through hard times because they're focused on how big that is instead of focused on the eternal weight of glory that comes out of the hard times. And the more you see like the sanctification that's coming out of the hard times and being made Christ-like, the more you think, eh, you know, so I got hit by a car and I have cancer and I was paralyzed and, and I went bankrupt you know, just, it's, but I'm growing in Christ. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, uh, it's all good. You know, uh, that's important. Next we talked about the attributes of man, what you want to review there. Of course that was, uh, element three reviewed or no element two reviewed four messages ago. And when you're dealing with the attributes of man, uh, the biggest thing in our day and age is uh, both a secular culture and the Freudian psychology and sociology wants to, to brainwash us in a view of man that's not very biblical. And even the church today has has taken a very low view of what sin is. So especially if you were brought up in somewhat of a legalistic tradition, uh, where sin is, you know, whether you drink beer or not, or something, and the, you know that the, the greatest things you can get delivered from is drinking beer and smoking cigarettes, or something, and uh, or or women wearing pants, or something, or what, whatever nonsense uh, people want to bring to the table out of out, out of what's called antinomianism, which always leads to legalism then you don't, when you don't see sin for things like pride, selfish ambition, the desire to run from and hide from God, the desire to be a Christian, but kind of do your minimum amount of being a Christian without really getting on fire. That's the whole thing of going to church to avoid God, which is what really most people do. We try to get our, you know, we know we can't shake God completely, so we try to just do enough God stuff to keep ourselves from being really, really upset about how much we need to know the Lord and so forth. So when you're talking about the attributes of man, we talked about a lot of things. The the, the innate value of man because we're created in God's image and that's why we're pro-life and culture of life and so forth. But one of the biggest c- concepts I want you to think about when you're helping people and when you're helping yourself is remember to take the logs out of our own eyes before we take the specks out of other people's eyes. Everyone can see sin in society. You know, liberals, conservatives, they both do that well. But it's very difficult to see sin in yourself. We need the Word of God. We need our brothers and sisters. We need the Holy Spirit. But the whole culture of modern times is kind of a denial of the depth of sin. So that the average Christian thinks, I just need a little churching up. They don't see a desperate need for to be rescued every minute of every day. I need the every hour, so to speak. Uh, we looked at the Ten Commandments. I'm going to have to fast forward here. Multiple purposes for God's law that are still ongoing and what antinomianism is versus theonomy. Make sure you understand that sort of thing. Use God's law to help people see the depth of sin. It's the number one thing you can do for your kids, for your friends, for anyone you love. Um, We looked at uh, two messages ago why both the history of Israel and warnings of the Day of Judgment are always included in every gospel presentation in the book of Acts. Two things that are completely left out of uh, almost every gospel presentation in America today. And I can't review all the reasons why. There's a small list of them under there, but if if you're not familiar with those things, you need to be familiar with those things. Um... And then last message, just before, because we took off the last two weeks because of Christmas and New Year's Day, we're both on a Sunday, so we had regular worship service, but we didn't have the 930 early Bible study. Um, The last message that was three weeks ago, we looked at um, element five, which is the, the aspect of Jesus Christ as the only mediator. Now, we did about 30 messages on that originally, and we did a pretty good job of reviewing it three weeks ago. Uh, and what we tried to take you by, by at least past, uh, to have the, the building blocks to build on, because a lifetime study of Jesus Christ is has to be like the central component of your Christian life. Study the Gospels, look for Christ in, in Scripture everywhere. What we call a Christological approach or the apostolic hermeneutic. John and I are always talking about that. And we're always trying to equip you to see Christ in Deuteronomy and Christ in Colossians and Christ. If can't see Christ in Colossians, that's a problem. Uh, you probably can't read. But uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, except, you know, Christ er- everywhere. Christ in your situations and circumstances. Even Christ in your unbelieving boss. Maybe. Well, <laughs> maybe at least a messenger of Christ. Um, so. Uh, We did 30 messages, and we really went beyond what you would get in a university class or what you even get in the systematic theology class here at Grace Christian Fellowship. Uh, Those of you taking the church history class, you're probably starting to get familiar with the fact that the, the battles of the first five or so centuries in the church were all about who is Jesus Christ. Christology. So one of the problems with today's gospel presentations is when people pray to God, when they pray the sinner's prayer, they're number one, they're praying to a God less than who he is. And they're saying that I'm a sinner, by which they mean I need a little churching up instead of what sin really means. And they ask Jesus Christ in in some reduced version to come into their life. See the problems, you know, so, um, If you're going to help people come to Christ and form them in Christ, you need to help them be more clear on all of these points and more completely biblical. Now, today we're going to review element six in the remaining 27 minutes, and uh, we're going to talk about what it means to receive Jesus Christ. Responding to God is a necessary part of, of what it means to be a Christian, okay? In other words, the God, God is knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3.20 is a verse that people use in evangelism, but Jesus is actually speaking that to a church. Jesus is saying to Christians this morning, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. If you hear me knocking and you bid me to come in, I'll come in and dine with you and you with me. Jesus is knocking and saying, John 14.21, if anyone... Uh, keeps my commandments then I uh, will disclose myself to you and the Father will disclose himself to you. You'll know the Lord better as you become an obedient disciple. The rewards for obedience uh, by the which can only be done by the grace of God for the glory of God are that you would experience more of the grace of God for more of the glory of God and you would know the Lord better. And, and, and that includes especially experientially, as John 14, 21 makes very clear. The many sections of the church today are anti-experience. So, when we did this section, uh, Receiving Jesus Christ, I used as the theme verse for that section. If you notice right above, I have Matthew 16, 13, and I always have a theme verse for each section. So the theme verse on the Jesus Christ being the only mediator was who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? Because it all falls or rises on who you think Jesus is. Even not just coming to Christ initially, but all progress in the Christian life comes by knowing Jesus Christ more fully, more experientially, more completely, more accurately, more biblically. The more you know the Lord, the more you come out of unreality into reality because he is the way, the reality and the life so um our verse for this section receiving jesus christ is but to all who received him which the word lumbano is the word for receive it's a it's a contrast to other words there's about 14 different words in the in the new testament not about there's exactly 14 words in your english new testament Fourteen different places where the word "receive" goes back to a different Greek word. I'm trying to say there's fourteen different Greek words that all come over to the English translations as the word "receive." Okay, so some of them are more "receive" in the sense of if I just tossed a book in John Luke's lap and re- receive this Bible, and he he would catch it because it would you know, and but it would be more of a passive reception, you might say. Lumbano is a go-get-it-violent-men-take-the-kingdom-of-God-by-force kind of receive. It's an active verb in a very active, aggressive, assertive kind of verb. So all those who received him, to those who believed, which hopefully by now we mean know that means trust in, cling to, rely on enough to follow, die for, and obey. That's what belief really means, not to intellectually assent to the ideas as we've reduced it to in modern times, to those who really followed him and believed in his name. He gave them the right to become children of God. And the word right there is the word exousia, which means both the power and the authority. We constantly use the analogy of a policeman. He has a a uniform and a badge, which are representative of his authority. He has a gun and the ability to call as many other policemen as he needs to, to back up his power. The reason we all pull over when the light and when we get a speeding ticket or whatever, and uh, and don't resist Officer Diaz, is because we know that we can't win. <laughs> we might not be thanking God for His gracious sovereignty and sending that wonderful policeman to uh, help us be reminded to slow down and drive more safely. And what a great gift from God this policeman was to us today. But we're going to pull over because we know he can make it stick. Right? And most of us have learned enough wisdom to go, well, the more I, I was visiting Chris and Amanda the other night, and, or about two weeks ago, and I got pulled over on the way out of there because, they, you know, it's a Air Force installation, so they checked my ID and all that they just they were actually just pulling over everyone who came out so and uh and of course i didn't have my driver's license on me (laughs) and uh it had expired anyway (laughs) because i forgot it was my birthday it was about seven days after my birthday and i hadn't got it renewed yet oh well i need a secretary but uh You know they—they're going to win. They have the—they have—they have the power and they have the authority, right? It was actually a very pleasant conversation. Um, they were just checking everyone to make sure I wasn't a ter- terrorist visiting the Woo's. The Woo's don't normally have that many terrorists visit them, but, but they were checking everyone. All right, so. Uh, to those who received him he gives them the power and the authority which means it's not that you just intellectually have the right answer but you actually have the grace the empowerment to become a child of God and a child becomes like their parents one of the things I love is visiting new babies in the hospital and with their parents, and I always look at the baby, and I look at the dad, and I look at the mom, and I go like, how did little Hannah get to look like Chris and Amanda at the same time? Because they always do, right? (laughs) And uh, So because children become like their parents. They have attributes from their parents. So when you receive him, You actually start, you receive the authority, all the legal rights, and all the grace and empowerment to become like Jesus Christ and to have your life be a representation of God the Father. So that you can say, dear, you know, Roy gets called into the office. He's talking to the boss, and the boss says, Roy, so what, how's it going? Like, don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? (laughs) What have you been doing lately? Don't you know I've had to be about my Father's business? (laughs) Probably not. But uh, uh, probably that might not be the best answer for your unbeliever boss. But that's who we are, right? That's what we're always about. So... Um, so let's get into this whole thing of what we covered in, in element six, what it means to receive Jesus Christ. The first thing we talked about is the doctrine is the idea of salvation. Salvation or saved is the most misused term in, in biblical circles today. If you go to a church that claims to be Bible believing, they will often say, are you saved? which is a completely misuse of the term. So you kind of want to answer what they think they're asking you, not what they really are asking you, because they don't actually know what they're really asking you if if they say that. So if they say, are you saved, they mean, are you born again and are you converted? Because salvation is a total concept. In salvation, you were saved from before time began in the eternal covenant of God. God already knew Logan Carr and Stephanie O'Gaughin and you were already saved from all eternity before you were even existed. We're not Mormons, we don't come back as reincarnated spirits or anything uh or anything like that. So, but then you have been being saved through the creation of man, the fall of man, God for the you know, proto evangel in genesis three fifteen and God clothing them with skins representing the killing of an animal because there 's no forgiveness without shedness of blood and all through the Noah covenant, and you were saved in the Mosaic covenant in the Abrahamic covenant, got them out of order there uh, the davidic covenant you you've been being saved. So you could be a smart aleck if you want to go, well, I was saved, like, in all eternity. And 2,000 years ago. And 4,000 years ago. But (laughs) uh, they're asking you, when were you born again and converted? They're not using the term right. Now, uh, and you will be continuing to be saved until on into eternity. And I actually uh, think that when we go to be with Christ, our sin nature will end. So in a certain sense, we'll be completely saved. But since the Bible actually talks about things that we don't know in heaven, I, as far as I can, it talks about praising in the ages to come that we will praise the unfathomable greatness of his grace, I think we'll actually still be growing in our knowledge and experience of God for all eternity. So we'll still be being saved forever and ever and ever. So, uh, you know, uh, even though we won't be hindered by a sin nature anymore, that's looking, I mean, who's excited about that? I, anyone want to volunteer to go on ahead today? No. <laughs> so, uh, so salvation, the word saved is actually in the name of Jesus himself because the name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves his people. Um, So I have the prego principle there. They they had an advertising slogan. It's in there. Uh, In the name of Jesus is salvation. Now, the verb form for save, sozo, means to rescue or deliver from danger or destruction, to make well, to restore. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. Um, Etc. Now, there uh, Titus two eleven through fourteen. I guess I have time to read this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. If someone is saved, you can see because they're living more sensibly, righteously, and godly. Now, not in eternity. How you doing, Catherine? Catherine's enjoying the granddaughter. (laughs) So, uh, she's got that grandma look on her. Um, So... God gave himself for us to redeem us. redemption has to do from, uh, it's actually a word that comes all the way from the Old Testament and they were redeemed in the Passover, for instance, and so forth. And it actually comes out of the whole ancient concept of slavery When and it's basically the Lord buying us off the slave blocks. We were in slavery to sin, Satan, the world system, our own selfishness, and so forth, and He he ransomed us from all that. And we had no power to do that at all. We were chained, we were bound, we were completely slaves. And he redeemed us from every lawless deed to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's what God has always been after. That's why the current situation where people under-evaluate the importance of the church is really a troubled situation. And that's why the history of Israel is so important in in gospel presentations, because it helps you understand that it's always been about a people. Every one of us has to go through the door of Christ one at a time, but we go into a family you know, the Grays, unlike the Haggers, are, who are trying to defy the, and just have two at a time, uh, are having one at a time. But most people don't have like 50 at a time. <laughs> I don't know what's the record for sextuplets or whatever. But we come into this world one at a time. But we come in, and, and, you know, Lily Gray was Lily Gray before she even came out of her mother's womb, right? She was already part of a family, she belonged right? So this idea that, that you can have Christ without having his people that's so prevalent today, you know, the, one of the biggest movements in evangelical Christianity is the unchurched church and, uh, and almost all pastors of any sort comment on how people approach the church as consumers for what's in it for me instead of uh, family members to become discipled into the family mission together. And the family way of life, and the family values, and so forth. So, um, Romans 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the dunamis, which is a very active, dynamic word we get dynamite and, and dynamo from, uh, for salvation. So, salvation is a total concept. It means deliverance uh, from the molestation of enemies. It means safety, health, preservation, uh, deliverance from demons, sin, evil spirits, everything. Um, salvation is a total concept. Uh, moving on in our review, we then we, we looked at uh, that in the first couple weeks of, of Element six. Then we moved on to the idea of receiving Jesus Christ always involves two processes. And these processes cannot be separated. They're inextricably intertwined. Now, when you take systematic theology, when you study Wayne Grudem's chapters on the doctrines of salvation, you'll see that he even makes that point, that uh, theologically what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to be born again and converted as kind of a bang-bang process that we can only separate for the purpose of talking about it, just like you can't separate the attributes of God. We can talk about all the different attributes of God, but he's always all his attributes at once. Now, unfortunately, in the way theology works out practically, what we have in our current day and age is many a person who has had at least God knocking on their door of their heart. In many cases, they've uh, had experiences with God, and, and I think even been born again, but are far from biblically converted. And that's because of the lifestyle of the church today and the witness that we don't live corporately, that we should, all the different ways we compromise the word of God in America. And it's because of the message we preach which is incomplete. So biblically complete ch- conversions becomes a very important thing. We're going to address that on into elements seven and eight, but as far as element six goes, one of the things you want to understand is that you need to both both be quickened, that is your spirit has to become alive. I stayed up like a nutty kid till three in the morning last night because I got a new uh, movie about John Wesley's life. And uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> good enough to stay up till 3 a.m. watching it and, and analyzing it. And, uh, you know, he, for many years, he was a very religious, performance-based guy. But, he, you know, these Moravian missionaries who were in this 100-year-long prayer meeting and, and really grace-based kept tar- trying to talk to him about grace versus his own, doing his own will and his own self-righteousness and so forth. And eventually God broke through, but one of the ways God broke through is the Moravians helped him see, like, do you know, do you have the Holy Spirit bearing witness to your spirit that you're a son of God? Romans 8. In regeneration, long before you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you should receive the Holy Spirit at conversion in such a way that your spirit is made alive and you become in the category where Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. One of the things we're increasingly experiencing is people who've grown up in the church, they conceptually know some points of the gospel, usually in very reduced ways and so forth, but still, and they would consider themselves Christian, and they often are even coming here because they want something deeper or whatever. But one of the first things I start asking them, how often have you experienced God's presence in corporate worship or Bible study on, alone with, in your study you know, with the Lord? Uh, and so forth and many 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 people today say never I've never experienced that because we become such a Greekified abstract approach to knowing about God instead of knowing God and when you're born again even when before you're baptized in the Holy Spirit you receive the Holy Spirit at conversion and you should begin to know his voice And he should bear witness that this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And you should know that based on the grace of God, not at all on your performance. So that's what happens at regeneration. You can call it quickened in the King James. You can call it made alive in more modern translations. Born again, new birth, second birth. Whatever, I gave a couple verses there about midway down the page about the new birth. My favorite ones are the ones out of, you know, most people preach out of Ephesians 2, those ones. They're probably the most commonly preached. I think I list a verse or two in Colossians, which are very common as well. But my favorite ones are the ones in John 5, where Jesus says, a time is coming and now is when the dead will hear my voice. He's not talking about those who've died physically. Later in the chapter, he does switch to that topic. But at that point, he's talking about all of us who are born spiritually dead. And he says, a time will come when the dead will hear my voice. Those who hear my voice will live. That's the essence of becoming a Christian, to have started to experience the powerful presence of God. Apart from that, you still just know about God. You you may be religious, and it's probably a good thing for you to be in church, and it's probably a good thing for you to read your Bible, but you want to be in church and read your Bible because you want to come to know the Lord in power and experience and truth by his Spirit. Because apart from that, you got nothing. You just have religion. Second concept that's supposed to happen, where in this process is being broken down for an, an, all sorts of reasons, is the idea of conversion. And conversion always means a turning to away from and toward. When you, you know, we have a whole teaching about eight definitions of repentance, and the eighth one being the most important, we say the best for last on purpose on that one.'re turning repentance is to turn away from self-determination, self-advancement, self-self-self-whatever, and to turn toward, and it's even more important, like we think of repentance as I'm going to quit doing this, I'm not going to do that, so forth, but it's toward the pursuit of loving God and knowing God and in a, a relationship with the Lord. I always tell young men who tell me they're struggling with uh, pornography or whatever, whatever, I don't care what your diction you're studying with, fear, whatever, you won't overcome it just by saying, I need to be less fearful. You'll overcome it by pursuing God because perfect love casts out all fear. And in the presence of the Lord, all fear is gone. So, conversion is turning to, and conversion itself has two inextricably intertwined concepts. The first one is repentance. Repentance. And the second one is faith. Now, um, we looked at words having to do with repentance. You want to make sure that that entire list of words there, which is on the second page under uh, point B2B, B2A and B2B, that you've had all, all those words happening in your experience, and you understand them. Because knowledge in the Bible is always scriptural, cognitive, intellectual, uh, mental knowledge. And it's always spiritual, concrete, real, experiential knowledge. And the Bible never divorces those two. And we have entire sections of the church fighting over which one we should have these days. There's the anti-experience people and then there's the anti-knowledge people. The Bible never is either. They're inextricably intertwined. So I don't have time to review all these words, but you should know what conviction is all about. The difference between sin and sins. What it means to confess, which is the opposite of blame-shifting, excuse-making, rationalizing. Whenever I meet uh, with someone for counseling, I usually ask them to tell their story. And if it's uh, counseling because you know they're not getting along with their single brothers or if in their marriage or whatever, one of the things I always listen for is how much they're putting the blame on others versus receiving it unto themselves. Because when you put it on others, you disempower yourself because I can't help the fact that my mother bit me when I was five. What I can help is how much I forgive her and how much I love her and pray for her and so forth. But I can't go back and keep, you know, these bad things from having happened. Uh, And I can't change the other person. So whenever I hear a lot of like, this person made me angry and, you you know, I used to, I uh, have a little problem with, uh, lots of problems with that all my life, but one was when I was a kid, I had a little, I would say to my little sister, now see what you made me do, and she would go, I didn't make you do anything, and then she would say to me, now see what you made me do, and we'd go, no I didn't, I, you know, we're, we're, we're professional blame shifters, confession is the opposite, we could go on and on about these words, Restitution. Make sure you understand, when, and you've done that. I'm surprised. I meet so many Christians that have uh, said, well, yeah, I used to shoplift, or I used to steal, or I used to cheat on my taxes, and they've never gone back and made restitution to your employer or whatever. I don't get that. That's antinomian. That's a wrong view of grace. Remember when uh, who was Gi- Zacchaeus? Uh, you know, like he, you know, he paid back more. He actually reversed the numbers. He paid back like exponentially, exactly the opposite of what he was required to pay back. In other words, instead of one fourth, he paid back sixteen times as much. Because grace came to him. Grace will go beyond tithing. You always know if people go. I don't think with New Testament people have to tithe and so forth. <laughs> you always say, "Yeah, and I'll bet." Therefore, because we're under grace, and I said, "And I'll bet your understanding of grace is that you actually give less than ten percent. If you're really under grace, you would give more than ten percent, of course, because if you're, you know, under grace, you don't not only don't commit adultery, you don't have it in your heart at all, right? Uh, then we looked at the word, We looked at faith words which has become butchered in our culture to, like, I believe. I was maybe one month old in the Christ when I began to understand that people saying they believe in Jesus doesn't mean a hill of beans. I was a pothead at Bowling Green State University, and hung around uh, most of the African-American guys because they were more serious about smoking pot than the white guys. And so I had more black friends than I had white friends because the white guys had this idea of like you could smoke pot two or three times a week instead of two or three times an hour. And uh, <laughs> so I, heard, I, I was, you know, if you're going to do something, get in, be serious about it. So, <laughs> you know, but I, it was amazing how many guys would tell, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I remember, you know, my roommate who uh, basically did every kind of drug under the sun every day and slept with a new girl every night and was drunk Three, four, or five times a week, and was just at college to party. He, you know, I started telling him about Jesus, and he goes, "I love that Jesus rap, man." (laughs) He goes, "Yeah, I believe in Jesus." I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, I follow Jesus." The man came to our town, and he was preaching about Jesus. We all held held hands, and we talked in tongues and shit. Wow, you know, I'm like, I'm like, oh Lord, are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, he said it just like that. It was was really cool, man. Who are we sleeping with tonight? You know, we've turned faith into this abstract intellectual conception that has nothing to do with following, trusting, clinging to, obeying. And uh, that is, so make sure you understand all the words on that list. And that you can help people with them because I certainly don't have time. Now, the last point, many so-called Christians have never received him. I'm going to just save that. It'll actually take me nine messages to review the whole series. Next week, we're going to preview element seven for one week, and the following week, element eight. But then... I'm going to do one, two, or three weeks of kind of wrap-up. And I think that point there that I have where I have a bunch of questions and answers, uh, I'm going to spend a whole week just kind of preaching instead of teaching and just kind of say, hey, uh, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. So many uh, Christians today are less than fully converted. And uh, you don't want to be in that place you really want to do what Paul said. There used to be a time, uh, you know, when even when like some of the great evangelists started of the 19th century, like the Finneys and the Moody's and guys, Spurgeons and guys like that, or the 18th century, like Wesley and Whitsfield, where, like the, in, at Edwards, where the idea of agonizing over whether you are truly converted and spending a lot of time studying that was like a normal thing for Christians to do. Nobody even thinks about it anymore. We all take the things of God very ho-hum, uh, nonchalant for granted. And I think it's very important to, to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Is there the fruit of conversion in your life? And we're going to probably spend just a whole week reviewing that. Amen. Amen.